welcome to your typical Shono protagonist. He's Kai, I'm Kells, and today we're talking about another Mecha March month episode. Today is Gunbuster. First off, Kai, how you doing? I am doing good, man. Anytime I get to talk about mechs and sad anime waifus, I'm here for it. Man, and that's the big switch up for this one. It's the Gynax formula. It's the mecha formula of sad protagonist, except this time it's a girl. In the exact same boat as every other one of them. It's just a girl. Trying to live her life. Mm-hmm. So, this is, of course, basic rundown. Girls, Sad girls and giant robots save the human race from space monsters, right? Sometimes in mechs, it's humans versus humans. In this one... It's humans versus an unknowable evil trying to, you know, uh, destroy the human race. Um, and evil is, of course, a projection. That's kind of one of the commentaries uh, that, you know, Gynax really does with a lot of their their giant robot shows is, is the force trying to destroy the human race actually wrong, you know? Yeah, and... I mean, it's the existential question that we get asked, you know... With war, is there a right and a wrong side? I mean, it's easy to say yes, but if you put yourself in that predicament of the opposing side, it becomes a lot harder to just say yes. You know, it's like yes, but yes, and. And I feel like Gunbuster does a great job of saying yes, and. I think that's a great point, is that, you know, the the primary question of a lot of these, you know, quote-unquote real mech shows, um, you know, not super robots not super mech where there's just a one robot that saves the world and fights kaijus and other robots and you know uh but like real mech is in tools of war the question about war who's right and who's wrong except in, in compared to you know one side versus the other it's our side versus something that's coming to destroy us like you know something yeah. we cannot communicate with um definitely uh, i think that's an interesting uh way to describe one of the the root tropes of the genre thank you so of course this is gynax a studio known primarily for their mech anime right they were putting out killer stuff not only gunbuster of course you know historically neon genesis evangelion there's so much more that i have to go look up um however they're known for the compelling stories just like this one awesome mechs just like this one. And their signature jiggle physics. I'll give you that, yeah. Um, I, I will give you that. And, like, I want to say that I personally didn't give Gynax, like, the credit it deserved. Just being like, okay, if you haven't, because obviously if you're new to the anime verse, you haven't, you weren't around for, like, the stellar run that Gynax had. But I would argue... Gynax back in the day was the Mappa currently. I would say. Maybe not Mappa, because Mappa does a lot. But maybe I can't even say Photo. It was it was so like special what it did and what it had. But it had like that Mappa flair, like that level of if you heard, oh, this is a Gynax production, oh yeah, I'm watching this. Or like, oh, Gynax did the like story. Okay, let's go. And it's just like a whole bunch of like great projects in like kind of a renaissance 
Like, not kind of a renaissance. They had a renaissance. You know, I used to think, oh, it's just Evangelion, Gurren Log, And then was like, no, we had Rama one half. We had, um, like, you know. Rama one half? Yeah. Rama one half was um, Gynax. Wow. But, of course, you know, stuff like Appleseed, Fully Cooley. Yeah. Um, really, they came into being in the late 80s, you know. Um, but, of course, working on some some university films like Daikon, uh, as Daikon films with Hideki Anno and a bunch of his other high school or college friends. Um, but, no, man, definitely. Like, looking back at what all they've done is ludicrous. They have done. And they really Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say they've done so much great stuff. Like, and it's like really like cult classics. I feel like they specialize in putting out. Absolutely, and they really came in to the mech genre. So at the at the peak of when animation was meeting storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. So of course we look back with uh, you know Mobile Suit Gundam, and we've got this this late seventies, early eighties art style and production quality uh, with a compelling story about war and and uh, a, our main character going through the perils of the decisions and having to do that, right? The basic uh, sad boy gets in the robot and, you know, fights a war and, and suffers for it. But by the time Gynax rolls around, we've got, you know, especially with Gunbuster, we've got the same kind of visual style, but there is so much more detail in the background animation that is separate from just our our moving characters and giant robots um and also especially with hidekiano he's bringing a world of um cinematography to this show you know you have all manner of of uh, uh shot framing you also have a bunch of insert shots that are just there to set the scene. So there's a scene in like, I think it was episode four, where, you know, it's a a whole, they're in a conference room and it's like all the powers that be making decisions. And it's like, everyone's tired and you can get the feel that, you know, they're they're going to have to make a, a terrible choice no matter what. The question is, what do they do? Or what can they do uh, with their giant robots fighting this immeasurable force, right, that's coming to end humanity. And you have this scene, kind of early on, uh, you have this shot early on in that scene, where it's just an ashtray that is filled to the brim and overflowing. And it's like, you didn't get this kind of cinematography, you didn't get this kind of time taken for a single shot to set the scene, to tell the story, Eight years ago, yeah, you know, it it is wild it, the how far animation came, you know, between studios, between budgets. This is six episodes versus you know fifty six, you know, yeah. Um, but but like it feels worlds apart in just a short amount of time. I would, I would for sure agree with that. Like, and you know, just like the character design too, it has like because this was. Early eighties, I believe. Um This was eighty eight. Okay, eighty tail end of the eighties. Yeah, eighty eight. So um it really had that kind of like 
I don't know. It had that like eighties aesthetic, but it had like the colorization. Like I feel like it was the colors weren't. It was how do I describe this? Because um, Zog got on me in our other podcast about saying animation and art style difference. Right? Anyway, but it's like the like care and detail into the colors felt like it's something that's more, you know, that is ahead of its time, really. Like that, because you have things that you can still tell that they're kind of like drawn on, but like this kind of gunbuster at moments looked more like paintings. You know what I mean? It looked like it just had that like level of art, even in the background when you're in the command room. And you just got like the red dot. Like you just see the consistency. Like just, you know what I mean? It just feels like artwork in every frame, opposed to just like, you know, you pause and you see a lot of sloppily drawn stuff. Yeah. And, and, Honestly, a lot of this this kind of art direction, specifically the word direction, is coming from Hideki Anno, as Gunbuster was his directorial debut. Like, this is the first thing he ever officially directed. Yeah. And you can really see the the insight and, and artistry behind his shot decisions, right? So even even then, uh, you know, you've got something that sticks with me as like a unique scene we had never seen before uh, compared to, you know, like Mobile Suit Gundam was, you know, you've got all these cool digital displays in the control room and in the bridge. And, you know, OK, you, you can see whatever's on them. But there was a shot that was coming from inside the machine, looking up at the two characters talking, mm-hmm. and all you see is kind of black, and then you have the screen, and then behind the screen you have the characters, as if you are in the machine. And it's like, Hideki Anno, what are you doing? This is wild. This is crazy. And that's how you make a scene of just two characters talking about, you know, the impending doom of the universe. Visually interesting. Man, I yeah. love I love Hideki Anno. Same man, he is like a whole goat. And let's just can, let's just talk about him for like a quick second. Hideki Anno, man, like he is such a special talent. And to know that he had a lifelong battle with like depression and stopped him from doing a lot of things. Well, it didn't stop him, but like halted him from doing a lot of things. Honestly, he's one of the people that I look up to the most in life because it's like you. Like, if going, I can only imagine, like, you know, having depression and then still working on something like Evangelion, but then overcoming it to finish it. Like, because Evangelion is a heavy anime. It's like, not even just an anime, it's like a heavy medium in general, because there's so much question and the, like, theological things that go into it. And for him to just, like, I feel like bring us home with, you know, 3.0 plus 1.0, like, through all that and just not give up because a lot of people don't finish things like a lot of stuff is left great like hunter hunter no matter what happens it'll go down as one of the goats in anime even though it's probably most likely never going to get finished and that's okay if people still accept it but he still pushed through that to finish it so it's like kind of motivation for me and as like a personal thing that i take into my craft is like okay i might be depressed i might be tired but it's still time to get up and do this time to go to work like and like that's really reflected in his storytelling and his art and just even you see those glimpses of greatness even in his first debut as Gunbuster I feel like he knocked it out of the park like 100% and 
you know, I wish that we had more works from him. Like, we got a lot, of course, but, like, I still wish that we had more. But, you know, I'm going to cherish the ones that he gave us. And I just had to take a second to be like, yo, Hidekiano, give this man his flowers while he is still here. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and that's that's one of the big points uh, about the storytelling in a lot of Hideki Anno's uh, animes is that it is such a challenge. The, the perils and struggles of human existence from the inside. Um, you know, and that's kind of something that the mech genre as of Mobile Suit Gundam and onward has really had as a, a, a trope. But Hideki Anno takes, takes this experience deeper and farther and, and has a way of directing the, the shots so that it can be conveyed in a gripping, engaging way visually. And yes, I agree. Also, it's from Gainax. So there are going to be gripping, exciting stories that involve oftentimes uh, fan service in the middle of the gripping, interesting scenes. Yeah, there's there's always fan service in Gainax. And, you know, I, di- I didn't mind it. Um, maybe I should have, but I didn't. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like not crazy. Like this by far is not the worst fan service that I've seen. Mm. And I feel like it's still done in that like 80s way of like where um how do I put it? Like you know like the scene where homegirl's laying in bed in the tank top and her shirt is like kind of flipped up and she's in her underwear. I feel like that's a very like mm. standard thing of like the 80s like in all forms of media i feel like we saw a lot of that like vibe and look so i feel like it did fit it wasn't like super out of place but it was definitely noticeable yeah it it was definitely there intentionally to be a scene um but for me you know maybe i am just i I have a, a particular type but i enjoy the way that at least this show has handled its fan service right yeah. you have you have a, a story that has so much meat to it that the fan service is often done in times where you the viewer are supposed to relax from the drama right yeah so you have that in the bath scene right where it's like okay cool they're taking a bath they're relaxing from all of whatever happened you know which in the bath scene they had just fought the um, the USSR candidate and gotten in trouble for it. So, you know, there was a big intense battle and, you know, scene of oh, what's going to happen to our characters that we know currently and care about and nothing does. And then the bath scene's a chance to kind of decompress that that tension in a way that happens to have Gynax signature titties. Yeah. Um, And even even your point on on episode like four or five um, where she's just cold chilling in her apartment. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's in a tank top and happens to fall open and you know, she's cold chilling alone, which is the weird feeling part, but you know, um, yeah, I think it's done tastefully as far as it can be, you know, I agree. I agree. Uh, and it's not just the fan service is the plot. Yeah. So, I agree with you 100%. I feel like the fan service is used really well. 
I feel like Hideki Anno doesn't really like use fan service distastefully. Um, at but least. he does use it. He does use it, especially with Evangelion, in a way that is purposeful. Eve, it's purposeful and it's intentional, and it's relevant to the plot and the yes. story he's telling. Like I feel um, like every fan service that we've encountered from him, like again, just gonna bring up Evangelion because most prominent work. Um, especially Masato, her whole thing is her use of like her fan service is normally to like get something like not that it's correct. I'm saying, but it like falls into the story. Like you know, yeah. The only time we see her being fan servicey is either to like encroach upon something or lie to herself or use it as an escape. So, and and that makes sense story wise as a character point, right? The way the character is acting. Is acting in a way that is fan servicey, but also makes sense plot wise, which I think is done so well. And especially with Evangelion, there's a there's a drastic difference between the fan service and the use of nudity in terms of the feelings Hideki Anno wants to invoke. Yes, because the moment someone's naked, nothing's nothing good is about to happen. Yeah. In Evangelion. In this, it's it's far more benign. It's far more just here's a naked girl who's doing something that's not being in a giant robot. Thank God. Or even at the very end, you know, when we have that scene of uh of her tearing her shirt and, you know, bearing her breast, it's in a act of, of conviction and yeah. passion and um uh, intention that you know willpower that it's like oh wow this isn't fan service to like make me aroused this is like everything that happened is insignificant except achieving the goal and it's like wow what a way what a way to do it yeah it's 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 done well that's all i can say i mean like i feel like more so than well but like it's very it's it's just like at this point it's like you know, what do we expect from him? It's, and it's a lot different than the current day era. One day we might have to do a podcast about comparing, like, um, the fan service of the past to the fan service of modern day and just kind of talk about how <laughs> I feel like everything here is, like, over-sexualized. I feel like an anime that does a great job of even using fan service correctly, moderately, is My Dress Up Darling, which is currently airing at the time of this podcast. I feel like this is the first anime in a long time that uses fan service, like, objectively instead of, well, maybe objectively is not the right word, but uses it correctly, not just, it's not just there to be there. It serves a purpose and it's handled, like, realistically. It's not like, oh, wow, or I'm falling into your boobs just because they're bare, or, like, you know, there's actual realism in the things that happen because these are occurrences that actually what happened in the environment of, like, cosplaying. You're going to see... Mm something or things are going to be there is not like used as like a bargaining chip or like you know you don't see someone trying to elude the person it's just very natural and nowadays you don't really like get that much it's like just everything's kind of you know dialed to the nines for like hype factor to get people to watch or there's like a there's always that character so yeah and also you know this is a six episode ova yeah you know um, this isn't made for broadcast television in the late 80s. 
So he could do uh, Hidekiano could make the decisions to to be more fan servicey where he can, and it's not just the signature Gynax jizzle, jiggle physics, yeah, you know, uh, which are exaggerated jiggles, true, which are which are prominent. Don't yeah. get me wrong, they're here, but um, definitely the the uh, distribution platform influenced some of the artistic decisions as well. Um, okay, now that that's done, let's talk about. Uh, we've kind of talked about where this fits in the mecha timeline. Yeah. Uh, talking specifically kind of about the real mech genre, as we have discovered, is a thing. Not so much about the super mecha shows. Um, you know, we've got Mobile Suit Gundam, 1979. We have Gunbuster in 1988. And then kind of the pinnacle in my mind, also Hideki Anno, is uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. In terms of this batch, right? Yeah. How do you feel about it being a like a, a successor to Mobile Suit Gundam in Sad Kid gets in the robot and has to deal with like the perils of life while not quite getting to the point of Evangelion. How do you feel like it, it fits in the in the prototype of what would later on be? I feel like it does a good job, and I like that the main character is a female instead of, like, the classic, you know, male, because it gives that, like, different dimension, you know, like, we all, like, have to deal with the, oh, you know, like, there's something about when a male is cast upon that role, like, and everybody's like, oh, you know, he's, like, why is Shinji acting like a blank, or, you know, why is Amo doing like this, but, like, you know, as factually speaking, as god damn some crazy waters right now but you know it is normally accepted in culture for a female character to be more emotional and in touch with their emotions so seeing like i feel like that's a harder you know harder ass to like being able to convey that and you know that stick but i feel like noriko is a great example of that because you know she lost her father in a disaster you know, in the, I think it was a Luke, Luke kicks, Luke gone disaster. And she's like, okay, I'm going to still, you know, be somewhat positive. I'm going to enroll into, I want to follow my father's footstep. And then she actually kind of succeeds and gets what she wants. Like, and then she's like, hate it for it. So she has to experience all these emotions through that. And then still, like you said, find the conviction to go and be great like when sometimes you're your own cheerleader and i feel like she does a great job of like rising to that occasion and i feel like because i think this is the first time i've seen a main heroine in a mecha show or a mecha anime and i feel honestly like, sorry good from from what i from what i can remember um no i agree with you you know this is the first time i've seen the main character be a girl in a giant robot yeah, so, like, and honestly, it was a treat. I I really enjoy what I saw, you know, and I think she did a great job. I think she is a good, like you said, she's not a full-blown Shinji, but she's definitely not an Amos or Amos, whatever his name was, from Gundam. Um, she's her own character. She's Noriko, and I think that is nice that she is not just, like, a female version of another character that we already have i feel like she's her own noriko and i really like that i think that's a they did a great job with that yeah man um let's get into the plot so as you as you mentioned um noriko's a, a girl going through school and going through life 
Um, and we open with this scene that um, her her dad, right? Her dad is this space general or space admiral, ad, admiral, Lord of mercy. He's a space admiral. Yes. Piloting and commanding a giant space craft, right? In the in the the human space navy. Why not? Um he goes into space. He's like, I'll come home and see you once a year, except tragedy happens. His spaceship gets attacked by aliens, and then he's dead. So Noriko has to go through her, you know, teenage years, middle school, high school, without her dad, but trying to achieve her goals of going out into space with him. And you do that by piloting giant robots apparently yes so one thing i found interesting was the presentation of giant robots it's literally as if it was gym class and everyone works out in these giant robots right yeah i thought that was an interesting sorry i was saying no i was just saying yeah it's like common that's all i was saying yeah the the exactly the the commonplaceness the the it's also passe that it's just, oh, yeah, we're going to go run into giant robot. Um, I thought that was interesting. And uh, the thing is, new coach comes around who, big ol' spoilers for, anyway, um, is the last survivor off Noriko's father-ship, right? Yeah. And he's here to pick two students to go into space to, sh- like, present what Japan has to offer for the giant robots of the human race. So Noriko and her friend. Uh, not June. Uh, it's Kazumi Amano. Yes. Who is. Yes. Lord of mercy. Yeah. So listen, man, I'll be real with you. Like, yeah, hit me with it. I feel like we all knew, like, I don't know. It's like, I feel like the second Cosme came on screen, like, I feel like you were watching this. You're like, yo, this is going to be Kai's like thing. Because like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, and it's kind of weird how like, okay, I'm going to go in order. So yeah, she was partnered with Noriko and they went to go do like scout the regiments of the like disaster that went and you know killed Norco's father and all that, and it kind of turned into like you know the whole. So when you're the thing that I like about these is like you always look back and you're like, wow, how did they get in the mech? And then you're like, never mind, it was like super easy because it was right there the whole time, mm-hmm. and. I feel like this trope was done like well with gun. How did you feel about that? Like the acquiring of the gunbuster? Do you feel like it was too easy? Do you feel like because that's one thing I wanted to ask you with the Gundam? Like, do you feel like yeah. almost just hopping in there, like Shinji just hopping in the robot? Well, Shinji was different. He they went to go get him, but like other shows, do you feel like the access to the robot should be harder? So I think this was an interesting presentation of. Like the the ultimate weapon, Gunbuster, right? Mm-hmm. So we spent the first like three episodes 
you know, building the characters, building the backstory, providing the trauma, right? So we got the whole deal where Coach came and picked out these two characters because he knew in his heart of hearts that they were going to be the ones to use the Gunbuster, which is a giant robot that's currently being built, and it's like the, the hope of humanity, right? So these two characters are going to be the ones to use Gunbusters to save the save the universe. They're the chosen ones, you know. Yeah. And we follow through Noriko's peril of being the chosen one, but not being in a place in her life to achieve those goals yet, right? Mentally or physically. Yeah. But then we take and we tease at Gunbuster. Okay, you're gonna be you're gonna be the one to pilot it. You're going to be the one to pilot it. Yeah. All of this stuff you're going through right now, don't worry about it. Keep hustling. Keep hustling. It doesn't matter. You're going to be the pilot of the gunbuster if you just keep trying. And then episode four hits, and we finally see the gunbuster in action. I think that that was a great way to introduce, like, the big, powerful robot. I agree. I think it was nice that it wasn't done right at the beginning. Like it was like I mean they were kind of like picked out. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever like seen a mecha anime where there's like actual training to like a like it's a title earned or something, you know? Like I feel like there is someone and I'm like mistaken it, but I don't feel like you know how like let's just use Attack on Titan, for example, and spoilers if you haven't seen like Attack on Titan in general. Um, but, like, when, you know, the Titan holders are kind of trained in Marley. They're, like, trained up to become the Titans. And they learn from the yeah. previous one. Have you... I don't think we've ever seen, like, a passing of the torch from the mechs in that, like, you know, format. I could be wrong, though. So, I don't think it's a passing of the torch, so, you know? Yeah. Um, Like a ranking in the military th- type thing, you know? Like... Yeah. Um, This is definitely... This fits the vibe of most Mechdronors because, you know, you have Mobile Suit Gundam. We have Amino get, just get his giant robot from pure happenstance. His dad's the, the grand architect and he's around and knows how to work computers. And then because he used it and used it successfully, now he's just the one who runs the giant robot that looks cool. Yeah. But there are so many other mass production models that, like, the robots in themselves are not special, right? That's kind of the vibe of this, but like the giant robot here was designed for like a tandem partner in mind. So those who proved themselves to be able to do it, which, you know, was kind of worked on the back end by the coach, were going to be the ones. Yeah. Right. The whole point of the selection process was to find the people who could pilot the giant saver robot to defeat the giant aliens. It's just we happen to follow the ones that like wound up being it. Because nobody nobody knew except the coach that these yeah. two were the ones. Um if I'm thinking back to it, you know, it it's kind of like even Gellion's not quite in that same vein because all of the Avas are specifically designed to work with the pilots. Like that's the whole point of it. And you know, I'm thinking I'm thinking beyond into the future. Uh, Code Kiosk is not like that. You know, there are some ships that are designed for certain people or some some uh, 
mechs that are passed down, but it's like, you know, not really that much. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Evangelion probably would be the most memorable or things closest to what I'm talking about in actuality. But um, no, I do definitely feel like Gunbuster. Um, I like, like you said, like it came in episode four. It kind of was similar to Gurren Logan in that vein, because I don't think we got the actual um, Gurren Logan. Maybe we got it early. I don't actually remember, but um, I don't say actually like that. But I don't actually remember when we got the actual um, Der Geigen Gundai Senpai 8. Um, drill over the heavens, but mm, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, um, no. So you were not to deter you too far from what you're saying, but yeah. But no, um, you know, I in in a tangential way, I kind of like the idea that other mech shows have taken. Um, which I think Eureka Seven follows this, but I don't recall. It may be something entirely different. But where there is like an heirloom mech. Like, this is the family's mech, and it's kind of outdated, but yeah. it's been passed down. And it's like, that's kind of the starter ship for whoever has to go on the adventure to save the universe. Yeah. I kind of like that idea, where mechs have been around for so long that, like, we've been, we you know, you, random farmer family number 79 just has a giant mech in their barn. And when the time, you know, and it's like some ancient sword that's been stored in the raptors or, you know, uh, so, you know, some, some secret tome that contains power that's just been put away. Yeah. Like, the fact that it's a giant robot in the same context. Like, I really like that idea, but this is not quite that true. So let's talk briefly about, um, not Kimiko, Noriko's Noriko's struggle throughout Right up until she gets to the decision to go pilot the gunbuster, right? Yes. It's about having lost her dad and not being, you know, not fully coping with that because um, it's it's a difficult thing. Um, getting to be a robot pilot and train hard and then see the perils of what war is like and the inability to take action against it and having to live with that as she gets her kind of male love interest for an episode kind of murdered, her inability, you know, the PTSD that comes from that and her inability to take action, even as she goes and trains with coach one-on-one -on -one so that she can take action. But when, um, let me find her name. The, when young Freud. Yeah. Uh, when Ru young Freud challenges her, because, like, oh, my gosh, you're training with coach one-on-one? -on -one? Excuse me? Fight me in space. Show me what you have learned. And they get out into space, and Noriko just collapses out of sheer terror about having to fight in space? Mm-hmm. Like, and then eventually being like, all right, I've got to take action. I'm going to let the, the me that... This me is dying with you, um, Smith. And then she goes off to pilot Gunbuster like a badass. Yeah. How do you feel about that story arc? I think it's real, you know. Um, one of the great things we were just talking about and discussing this past weekend was 86. And 
even with the latest episode of 86, they're still continuing to knock it out of the park. And that is the realism of war, the realism of these instances. A lot of animes and things like that um, encapsulate a lot of fantasy and unrealistic like reaction to things. Like, yes, there's going to be fear in the face of peril. That's just how it goes. And yes, courage is overcoming that fear. And a lot of that is dialed to the nines because that, you know, overemphasis of like, yes, you have to do it for the motivational aspect. But what Noriko's character arc is doing is doing a parallel, like I said, to 86, where, you know, you're still going to eventually get there, but we're going to take the realistic route. We're going to go, hey, like, you know, it's you've never fought in space. Of course, it's going to be terrifying. You've never like you know, had to kill someone, of course, it's going to be, you know, a lot. You're going to pause before you press that trigger. And the fact that she had, like, her dreams wasn't what, like, seeing the actuality of what, like, the mountain she would have to climb to get where she wanted to be is huge. And I think it was a done in a great way, honestly. And I think Noriko's character development of being like, yo, I'm still scared. Life's crazy. But I got a gun busted a pilot because guess what? I'm the only freaking one who can do it right now. And again, I love it. I love Norco's character and Norco is Norco. So I was here for it. Yeah, man. And, and when Gunbuster, you finally see Gunbuster come out of that ship. Because mm-hmm. we, we've seen Gunbuster's face, right? Mm-hmm. In that classic, which, you know, this is a... a progenitor to the evangelion but you know when when shinji gets in the giant robot and you see them on the bridge right in front of ava unit one's face we get to see that shot here right but we don't we don't get to see everything else but when gunbuster finally ascends from the ship arms folded across its chest like a badass i was i was marking out man that 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 was my shit you know, because giant robots are just big and there and imposing. Mm-hmm. But to give this ship some kind of personality. I love that. By, part. like, I'm here to ruin those aliens. Man, what a, what a way to show this giant robot Bruh. after four episodes of waiting. Bro, I love that. Honestly, like I said, it felt like a mixture. I said this before, before the podcast started. It felt like a mixture of... Power Rangers with the way that they form Gunbuster, like it's just that level of detail and care, like showing each like extension and joint come together, and then the transfer of the pilot in the cockpit to the center to like a dual cockpit, like you have in a Power Rangers mech, and then like the poses as well, like and it's like the speech and the hair, and even the like sequence when they're attacking feels almost like Sailor Moon S, like it's just. Man. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like like you said, it's kind of that Super Sentai, um, you know, Mechazoid. That's not the term for it. I'm not a Super Sentai guy. I've, yeah. I've watched fucking, uh, Power Rangers. But definitely, um, you know, having the, the Zoids come together to form a giant robot. But that scene also feels exactly like a magical girl transformation scene, man. Mm-hmm. 100%. <sighs> like, it is... It's wild, honestly, and it's it's something that I didn't expect. I'm really happy that we're doing like Mecha March because 
these are shows that I'm always like, yeah, I'm going to go watch it eventually. And finally getting around to it, I'm like, okay, hell yeah. Like, you know, we're here and we made it. So seeing that and being a part of that, like, for, like, with you, it's such a, like, ball-and-ass experience because I'm like, okay, like, I've said we should watch, like, I don't know, Love Candy or something, whatever, like a thousand times. We haven't. But, like, Gunbuster is one that was on my list to watch. And honestly, I'm not disappointed. I think it was because um, my friend, um, you know, not Logan, but the other Logan, um, he loves Gunbuster. He has, like, all the um, DVDs and Blu-rays and everything. And he keeps telling me, he's like, man, you got to watch Gunbuster. And I showed him what podcast we were doing. He's like, yo, you're going to love Gunbuster. And, like, honestly, my expectations were blown away. Like, the art style and just, like, the, like you said, the mech. Like, Gunbuster might be probably my, not my favorite mech anime because the jury's still on out. But, like, my favorite mech might be Gunbuster. Just because, like you said, the personality, the posing, and the pilots, man. It's just, it's so much. It's like a full, it, it came together a lot. And I got to give it a little bit of time to breathe to see if I'm just being like a, like, you know, Gynax fanboy at this point. But I definitely enjoyed, like, the posing and the Sentai and the, you know, even the Magic Girl S and all of it of, like, the gun butt and the bandana. Can I just talk about Norco's bandana? That was cold. I, yeah. I love that. That whole blowing in the wind, just like, arm, like, it, oh, bro, the scene where she was, like, posed up with her arms, and then it, like, transitioned into Gunbuster doing the same thing. That was, that was dope. Man. Yes. Gunbuster is incredibly well animated. Yes. Like, especially, like, Gunbuster the giant robot. Like, man. Bro, so, this fight, right? Mm-hmm. Noriko is like, I'm getting in the giant robot. And then she does, and comes out like a badass, and then sets fire to all of the aliens in her vicinity. Mm-hmm. Man, when when and this is this is later on, but like just seeing what all Gunbuster can do is like, my God! You got the Gunbuster lasers, you got the finger missiles. When Gunbuster is about to get laser beamed by one of the big guys and whips out that cloak mm-hmm. out of nowhere mm-hmm. like fucking Batman. Mm-hmm. Man. That was wild. I liked, I think it was the final battle with like all the ships. And then like they had like the spike skates and they just stepped through that one ship. I was like, bro, I'm like, I, I'm so geeked right now off this. Like the man... Shoot, I might have to buy a Blu-ray. I ain't even gonna hold you. Like <laughs> my hoe has to go buy, buy the laser discs. <laughs> well, too expensive. Let's do it though. Hey, get that OG feel, bruh. Hell yeah! Like it. It was. Listen, man. I don't know. Like I, I, I don't know how you can like hate on this. Like I don't even know what it's ranking because I didn't even look it up. Okay, it has a seventy-seven. Like on any list, which whatever. We don't. I mean, that's good. But like you know, yeah, like it to me, it's easily like I'd say easily an eight. So I guess that's fair. Yeah, but like honestly, it because I, I gotta keep it in check because like there are some tens that are reserved for that ten spot. So, but no, it's an eight in a very like heavy market of like mecha anime, like and mecha anime that I've seen. 
I know like I've seen I've seen probably twenty five Gundams alone. So like this ranks high above in my mecha genre for sure. Definitely. Um, I want to talk about two more points. Yes. Right. So this is kind of plot relevant. We just had the the reveal of Gunbuster. Gunbuster put in the work. We saved the universe for the first time, right? Yes. And now we get to go back to Earth. However, through this entire show, we've seen the kind of time dilation that, like, faster than light travel has on the people traveling faster than light, which is our, like, main character, and the people back on Earth, because time just continues to move. Yes. So when they get back to Earth, it's been, like, 10 or 15 years since they left. For our main characters, it's been like six months, right? We left, we saved the world. After six months, we go back home. And then when they get home, everyone they know is like 10, 15 years older. Yeah. Right? Noriko's best friend in high school now has like a three or four year old child. And it's like, oh. So not only is there like a, a physical cost of, of life. Yeah. With going to save the universe. People die. Right. Mm-hmm. But even there's a deeper cost. Well, not to say deeper. There is a continued cost of saving the world. Saving the human race. Of when you get back. Time has marched on. Beyond you. Yeah. And that that's something that plays so deeply. Especially in later. With the humans have hatched up this harebrained scheme. To blow up. To create a black hole to annihilate all of the aliens. Which are going to blow them all up. Yep. Which means we have to send, you know, Gunbuster back out there to escort the ship to the alien. Oh, that's where Evangelion, or not Evangelion, uh, Darling and the Franks got that shitty. Not that I'm saying this was shitty, but they executed <laughs> a shitty version of that. So that makes sense now. Okay. Really? Yeah, so at the end of Darling in the Franks, and if you, spoilers, if you care, but at the end of Darling in the Franks, when um they defeat, like, the, whatever they were called, the Hive, the Legion, Father, Papa, whatever, um, they're like, yay, we did it, and everybody's like, cool, like, you know, you got all the mechs and everything, and Zero Two and Heroes, like, it's not over, we still gotta go, so, like, they have a giant planetary bomb that they're just gonna drop in like their whole group. So like Zero Two's like giant mech that turned into a robot unicorn, crazy. Um actually Zero Two turned into the giant mecha robot unicorn. Um flies the mech into the enemy base and blows it up. She dies with it. So Yeah. Um and now that you have pointed that out, like I'm like, okay, that's where that inspiration came from. Like, fuck darling in the Franks extra hard now, because it's like I don't keep stealing things, but not the good part of the things that you steal. <laughs> so, yeah. We are going to do Darling in the Franks next week. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we could. No, we're not. Like, okay, no, yeah. no, we're not. <laughs> we're doing... We're, we're being lazy because I have to watch a bunch of episodes for our final epi- for our final show. Yeah. And then we'll do Darling in the Franks next March. But, um, yeah. So, go on a second mission to save the universe. Right? Mm-hmm. Everything goes right until everything goes wrong, and it requires another sacrifice. And they're like, we're not going to sacrifice our life, because we're going to come back. Mm-hmm. But they have to go so far and do so much. 
with Gunbuster to deli- like to set the bomb off, which is apparently a miniaturized version of Saturn as the core. Yeah, I lo- I love mech science weird yeah, shows. Yeah, mech science. Like, t- tell me, tell me this stuff is happening without explaining a motherfucking thing. I love it. Um, but in the process of setting off this bomb, they have to disable and disintegrate most of Gunbuster. And one of the weird parts about Gunbuster and Gainax's mechs, Hideki Anno's mechs, let's say that, is there's a strange biological part to them, right? So Mm -hmm. earlier in the show, we see after the gruesome battle where Smith dies, we see like a bunch of mechs getting patched up and they're like bleeding and they're like gaping holes mm-hmm. as if it was a person, if it was a mech shaped person, right? In the final scene of Gunbuster, one of the final scenes, Gunbuster has to sacrifice its quote unquote heart, its core, which is heart shaped in its chest. And Noriko has to tear open the chest and like, offer up the heart that's still attached to like destroy and detonate the thing and that's the scene where we see her ripping off you know ripping her top in conviction and willpower to like do what has to be done yeah what a, what a wild scene man yeah it is it's it's pretty crazy and um i feel like that's just honor you know it's kind of you can see the similarities of this in his future works, um, especially the most recent Evangelion. Uh, you shall not advance, or no, you cannot. <laughs> Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0. Yeah, thrice upon a time. That's the thrice one upon is. a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, <laughs> which one is it? But um, yeah. So you see the, you kind of see it in that as well, especially with like the aging thing and like the conviction of like the bio human weapons that he has going on. And I feel like with Gunbuster, when she was, like, ripping her chest open and Gunbuster was, like, you know, getting the core out, like, I feel like that is, like, symbolism for, like, putting your heart into it. I don't know. I could that This could just be, like, the generic answer. But, like, that's how I saw it. Like. No, definitely. It's it's that, like, what else can uh, can you give? You know? Yeah tearing out your own heart to save the universe is like immeasurable it's almost inconceivable like how could you do such a a physically harmful and painful thing for the benefit of others it's crazy yeah especially you know with your bare hands and i like which you know yeah go ahead no sorry go go ahead. ahead no no go ahead i was gonna say and i like the fact that she didn't die yes which, let's talk about that, right? Yeah. So they, they make their sacrifice. They don't die, right? They destroy Gunbuster. Gunbuster ain't coming back, which I think is a nice kind of callback and, and touchstone with Mobile Suit Gundam. Yeah. Right? Yeah. RX-78-2 gets destroyed at the end of Gundam. His head gets blown off, and you know they abandon him because he's no longer useful. Or they abandoned him as a decoy. Yeah, so everybody else can up. leave. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of like the fact that, like, this is a callback to one of the touchstones of the genre in this way. Like, 
the mech has been with us. The mech's been such a badass. The mech doesn't survive. But our characters do. However, at an enormous cost, they have now been around, by the time they make it back to Earth, 12,000 years later. Yeah. Wild. Absolutely wild. 12,000 years later, they're in orbit of Earth, and they're like, oh, shit. There's no lights on that planet. Did we fail? Until they begin to see on Earth lights come up in the pattern that spells out welcome home with a backwards letter as if this is from a language nobody knows how to speak anymore. Yeah. And that's how we close the movie. Earth welcomes home the saviors from 12,000 years in the past. Yeah. It's it's fucking wild. Like, and, you know, I wonder, I wonder if some of these questions get answered in Die Buster. Like, what do you think? Um, I have no idea. However, I want to know because you know, Die Buster is another. It's a sequel. Yeah. Um, kind of. I want to know what happens in Die Buster. How how is it related to Gunbuster? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Which we'll have to take a look at maybe next March. Yeah. So, like, in. So I really want to, I really hope it is because I really want to deal with like that despair, you, like the despair of victory. Like, yes, you succeeded what you did, but like at what cost? And that's still like that kind of like Evangelion type feel or director coming through in him. Like, granted, this was before Evangelion, so I can't really say that, but I watched Evangelion first, so there we go. But it has that, you know. That feel of like, yeah, we still won. Like, if we look at the rebuilds, it's like, yeah, we still won, but at what cost, you know? And I feel like, now that I've seen this, I feel like the rebuilds took a lot of inspiration from Gunbusters, but also made it its own thing, if you know what I mean. Definitely. Definitely. This is one of those, Hideki Anno has been honing his vision on how to tell this type of story. Yeah. Um, Through his entire career. Even from... Gunbuster to Evangelion, and then Evangelion to the rebuilds. You can see the progression of the the human experience, and that's why it's so compelling. Hundred percent, bro. Hundred percent. So I gotta say that I feel like you know that everybody should watch Gunbusters. It was a very pleasant surprise, especially with like six episodes. Like, um. I, I feel like it's divisive, though. I saw some people, because after I finished the series, I, I not like people can change my opinion, but I always like to go and look and see what the community feels about it. And it seemed like it was kind of divisive for some people. I don't really understand, like, why I enjoyed it, but a lot of people said it was, like, kind of rushed and just felt like it wasn't all together. And I'm like, you got to keep in mind that it is an OVA. I know a lot of people are just mad because they're like, oh, it could have been, like, a whole series. I'm like, yeah, it could have been, but it wasn't. So... Why would you pray that apples are oranges when oranges exist? Like, if you want to go watch a full series mech, like, you've got a plethora to go find. So, I I personally feel like, you know, that I really enjoyed it. Not just for what it was, but, like, in general, I just really enjoyed it. It was, like, a Gynax gym. And Hideki Anno, again, killed it. And, like I said, I probably will buy the Blu-ray. 
or at least try and find some way to have a part of this. Like, I really just want, like, a poster of um, Noriko in the mech. Like, I really just want that. Like, I think that would be, like, a cool art pop style art. Definitely. I think that would be a great way to have something of Gunbuster in your life. Yes. But, um... Uh, but, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Like, this was six episodes. I mean, where I am in my life, I'm like, give me a story that I can fully un fully experience not necessarily understand but fully experience within the time i have to give to it right yeah that's why i really loved um the recut of mobile suit gundam yeah right i can't give you 50 episodes worth of time i can give you six hours yeah that was a great way for me to experience that this a six episodes ova with incredible animation I can give you six hours, you know? Yeah. Which, you know, is kind of more like four-ish, but whatever. Yeah. I, you know, I can, I can give you the time to experience this story in, in full dedication, right? I don't have to zone out and wait for filler and kind of padding. Yeah. I could just take it in. I could just experience it, um, which is definitely, in my mind, something I really enjoy, especially being a part of the mecha history and Hideki Anno's history. Uh, a great opportunity to experience kind of what he's been doing his entire career. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So definitely watch Gunbuster if you like Hideki Anno, if you like fan service that has actual plot and motivation behind it, if you like giant robots in any way, shape, or form. Yes, definitely. Yes. Now, unfortunately, and fortunately. Um, the show we're going to be doing at the end of Mecha March will require me to sit down and watch every episode of like a 50 episode series. Yes. But it's one that I really want to do. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah. But of course, next week we're going to have, uh, code Gios from the content breaker podcast to, to give me an opportunity to watch all of it. Yeah. And same here. You know, I got to finish. I think I got like 20 something episodes to finish. If we're not counting the movies, if we are counting the movies, then no oh boy. But yeah, we're not counting the movies. Uh, but of course, all you know, we're gonna be here all Mecca March, uh, throughout March here on Content. Br Lord have mercy, Content Breaker, get me confused. Here on your typical show, and protagonist, you can catch us on all your podcatchers, talk Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Podcast, Apple Podcast, whatever podcatcher you prefer, at your typical show and protagonist. Or on Twitter, URTSP, that's URTSP. How you got stuff too? Yes, you can find me at Static Threads on Twitter, where I tweet about stuff. And yeah, that's that's really it for now. But more stuff incoming. Definitely. And of course, the other product over at Content Breaker on all your podcatchers or Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at Content Breaker. We'll catch y'all next week for more Mecha March here on your typical Shonen protagonist. Bye.